Hi, it's David. As the year comes to a close, we wanted to take a look back at some of the podcasts that covered the biggest stories, people, and events in 2018. I also want to thank you for listening and hope you'll continue to join us every day in 2019. Happy holidays from all of us at TikTok. Friday marks one year since the New York Times published its first article detailing decades of alleged sexual misconduct against Harvey Weinstein. Since then, a global reckoning has taken place with the help of a movement that has found itself re-energized. But what really has changed in the past year, and what hasn't? This is TikTok. I'm Dave Myers. Joining me today to help understand the domino effect we've seen the past year is Bloomberg News diversity reporter Jordan Holman. Jordan, thanks for joining us once again. Thanks for having me. Bloomberg has done some fascinating reporting today on the state of the Me Too movement in the past year. What did it tell us? So today, Bloomberg released a large data visualization project, which showed that in the year since the Harvey Weinstein report in the New York Times went out, that 425 public figures have been accused of sexual misconduct. And that ranges across industries, politics, Hollywood, um, consumer companies, that, you know, that's more than one person a day that has been accused of a large range of sexual misconduct in the workplace. You know, I think it's worth stating that even though today is the one-year anniversary of that New York Times article, as you said, that the uh, this isn't the one-year anniversary of the Me Too movement. This has been a movement that's been around for a while, isn't it? Correct, yes. So Me Too uh, was a movement that was started by Tarana Burke back in the mid-2000s, and it still stands for what it does today, you know, back then. And it's just to heighten the awareness that and the pervasiveness of sexual harassment and sexual assault against women in America. And so, you know, Alyssa Milano back Mm -hmm. in October 2017 uh, tweeted hashtag Me Too, and she was calling back to Tarana Burke's movement that she started. So why now? Why why now is has this movement gained such momentum and such traction and not prior to the countless other accusations and claims that that we've seen in the past? Yeah, we've certainly seen a floodgate. I believe that the why now of this is that every single day and sometimes twice or three times a day, we were just seeing public figures, people you saw on TV, people who were national idols being called out for this really dark actions and size and that it just felt you know like a groundswell mm-hmm. and that it was consistent it wasn't just one you know bombshell piece but every day as recently as you know you look at the supreme court yeah. and so it's just been going on for one year and very prominent women have also been speaking out saying this happened to me so i think with all of those factors together that's why you get why now you brought up Alyssa milano and and her movement on Twitter, how she kind of pushed it there with the hashtag me too and called out for people to use that hashtag. What have we seen over the past year as, as the kind of watershed moments along the way of the peak times of that conversation? What are some examples of, of events? So definitely when she tweeted out me too, it immediately became a viral hashtag. Uh, so we see that a lot of people, when you use the stories or say their stories, even if they're not famous, mm-hmm. you know, just people on Twitter, they use that hashtag. So that's definitely become pervasive. And I believe Me Too just represents a, like the large problem with harassment, sexual assault. It just encompasses a lot and not just um, like crimes against women, but like men. So you think about mm-hmm. Terry Crews, a man who's coming out and said, hey, this has happened to me, too. So I think a lot of people can identify that with that and be in conversation with one another on social media, which we couldn't have done like 10 years ago because Twitter wasn't that popular. Mm -hmm. So I think just being able to search that hashtag and just scroll through, that's what I did this morning and just seeing all 
you know, even today, people are still saying new stories. So just like it's been ever present and social media has been a huge tool in having people feel comfortable with sharing their stories. But it's not just social media. So what are, what are the other platforms, um, avenues women are getting out there to talk about their stories that is really, I guess, is giving them a voice to, to do that, maybe that they would have, haven't felt comfortable to do in the past? We're definitely going to journalists, telling them, being able to tell these journalists um, and s- share those stories on a you know national news platforms, going on TV, talking about it. Um, and then also yesterday, the EOC released some stats saying that in this past year, uh, they've seen sexual harassment files and claims go up 12%. So people are finding other avenues of recourse and actually realizing, you know, the places that they can go. Mm -hmm. And you hear a lot about like HR has been seeing more complaints or at least thinking about how do you address this before an issue happens. So there's definitely platforms that people are realizing that they can harness. I brought up that women are feeling more powerful. They're, They're finding a voice to get their stories out. I find it I find it interesting that, though, when you look at accusations against Charlie Rose or Matt Lauer, the women that have accused these men, some of them still are anonymous. Mm -hmm. Why now do they still want to be in the shadows? I think when you're talking about sexual harassment or assault or rape, it is still one of the worst things that can happen to a woman. And so you don't want to really have to talk about that on a public platform and be defined by that. Um, and so that's probably why you want to stay anonymous. You want, you know, changes to happen and you want to feel like that justice was done. But it's still very scary. You still believe that you won't be believed. And you see that happen. And sometimes that's you're not ready to mm-hmm. put your name out there and that be, you know, what people know you for. Yeah. No, I can I can I can only imagine. Um, you mentioned the entertainment industry. You mentioned the corporate world. How have they evolved to all of these accusations? What lessons are they learning from this to try to improve? I was talking to someone who works at an executive search firm earlier this week about this very topic. And what he said was that just like companies plan for cyber attacks Mm -hmm. and just like companies plan for just like bad things that could happen with finances and whatnot. Companies this past year have really realized they need to put a plan in place if, you know, there is a bad actor in their company and to see how they would handle that situation. Does that mean you're going to fire them? Are they going to be suspended? And it's just like they could have always done that plan, but they're seeing the more immediate risk of not having that in place. So a lot of people have, um, a lot of companies have started unconscious bias Mm -hmm. or like reminded their employees that these are the recourses you can do if you feel like you need to have a sexual harassment complaint against your manager. Just reminding people that they can speak up and they can feel confident that something can happen that's been a huge thing um and and we've seen like how i mentioned earlier more than 400 people have been accused you know a large majority of them were then fired Mm -hmm. so you're just seeing those things happen that maybe two years ago you 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 might file a claim but you don't think anything is going to happen that person might still be working in your company but ultimately can there be true change if the hierarchies of these corporations of these large companies if they are still uh, on average white older men 
It's a great question. <laughs> and I think you do need to change who runs these companies because a large part of this conversation is understanding, is empathy, is being in that position. And women face unique challenges. And so when you have more women, more women of color too, running companies and really trying to root out some of that pervasive, horrible things that mm -hmm. have taken root in American companies, then that's when you start seeing change. It's very difficult to change systems. It's easier, um, but still difficult to take out individuals who are bad. But like that is something that needs to be addressed. Like who is running these companies and who and how much do they care? And I think that says the same for the world of politics, because I believe from the Bloomberg reporting today that the most claims are coming from state and national level of politics. So this is, brings us to kind of the, the, the midterm elections and record number of women running for office. Is that what's needed to make a change in D.C. as well that also will continue this momentum going forward? Yes, I think uh, it's amazing that, you know, this is being dubbed like 2.0, the, the year of the woman. But I think a lot of times we can become focused, like, let's just get more women mm -hmm. in. But you know, politics and the political institution are large structures that were founded and started and run by men for a very, very long time. So it's not just getting people like in these seats, but like actually having them have a seat at the table mm -hmm. and like to be heard out and then advocating for the millions of women who are saying we need to change this culture and politics and corporate America. And so, yes, it's going to be a great first step if there's more women in office, but it's are they in the leadership positions? Yep. Are they running the committees? That's going to be the next step. You know, you use the term Year of the Woman 2.0. And Year of the Woman 1 was, of course, after Anita Hill and right. after Clarence Thomas. And when you, we saw women like Dianne Feinstein run for office. And today we find ourselves in a very serendipitous spot where another Supreme Court justice who has been accused of sexual assault by multiple women, he has taken a very big step forward to having a lifetime seat on the Supreme Court despite these claims. Is that a step backwards for the movement itself? Right. I think a lot of people are having mixed feelings about today in particular. You know, you see on Twitter people saying, wow, one year, look at all of this progress we've had, but also we're still propelling people and people who have these claims against them are still getting more power. Mm -hmm. So it can feel like a step backwards. Um, I think we're it's only one year in we're still like trying to reckon with what it means and what it says of our society that pretty quickly we can get rid of bad actors and get rid of and fire people who've done really horrible things but i think we still need to reckon with like the promotion process mm -hmm. like are we still gonna do we still think giving people opportunities like giving men who've been accused of these things opportunities is better than actually you know hearing out women yeah so I've definitely seen a lot of conversation on Twitter about that, and I think that's still going to be a conversation moving forward in like this next year. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that because you have examples of men, um, Louis C.K., um, and you hear stories of Charlie Rose and Matt Lauer attempting to come back. How, as a society, do we determine who gets a second chance? I think, I mean, with a lot of things, it's like who who do we imagine should have power? So all of our country's history is white men and it seems like it is a horrible crime that they should be taken out of public life and that they face these consequences a lot of people say like they serve their time 
even like that they've never gone to jail. So we're still using the language and our, our, thoughts, are, our thoughts are still around the idea that just being accused is the worst thing that could happen to a person compared to like facing harassment or assault is the worst thing. So we need to just kind of unpack that a little mm -hmm. bit more and realize that being accused is not the worst thing. We need to address the bad behavior. And then if you apologize and, and then really work to change that, and maybe uplift other women or other people who've been marginalized, then I feel like that is where you can start having a conversation of trying to you know, reclaim or come mm -hmm. back into the public life. And all the positive steps forward that we have taken, still things aren't good. How do we improve on that? That is a great question. I think it really comes down to letting women run everything. <laughs> like letting, <laughs> like totally upending <laughs> how we think about power and power structures and gender dynamics in this country because like i was saying before it's that we're society is so ingrained in thinking that men should have this power and so when it's questioned it's like oh no we can't like we got to shut this down mm -hmm. now so the way to move forward is really truly thinking of everyone as equals like really truly when a woman is speaking and saying this horrible thing happened to me, not discounting that in, in any way, not trying to poke holes in it, but just like hearing mm -hmm. it, hearing someone out. And yeah. so I just feel that you just have to keep doing that. And the examples, how you mentioned earlier with reports of Charlie Rose or Matt Lauer coming back, if we really just always remember what they were accused of and try to solve that and try to like, make those women whole again, I think we wouldn't be having a conversation. So then how do you, on. how do you measure success? Is it more women CEOs? Is it more women senators, representatives, a female president? How do we measure progress? Yeah, I think gender parity in these structures are really important. So more female CEOs right now, we're at 24 out of 500 in the S&P 500. And uh, Congress is 20% women. So I think that gender parity and female representation in that is bigger. Maybe it's even taking the law more serious. Mm. You know, I mentioned about the EOC earlier and how those claims are going up. That's just like people filing it. How often are they being followed through? How often are people actually facing punishment or like loss of a job? Like, so just following through on the initial accusation or allegation and actually following up and seeing if anything actually changes, and maybe that would change that power dynamic. Maybe men would suddenly go away, if, <laughs> but I wouldn't want that. But you know, like, maybe if we just follow through on what we say is important to us, and right now, in this past year, in this Me Too era, we're saying it's really important to listen to women. I think we have to have our actions, you know, match that. Jordan Holman, thank you. Thanks for having me. Make sure to follow Jordan on Twitter. She's at Jordan Journals. That's a TikTok for today. Thanks for listening. And please head on over to iTunes and let us know what you think. I'm Dave Myers. You can follow me on Twitter at David F. Myers. And you can get all your updates 24-7 at TikTok.